Hi, and welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr. Margie Danchen, paediatrician and your host for today, and I'm joined by Dr. Lexi Frydenberg, paediatrician and my co-host. Welcome, Lex. Thanks, Margie. Today's episode is all about Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, otherwise known as ADHD. And we've got a guest expert to help explain ADHD. And we hope this discussion will help answer a lot of your questions. Sounds great. From the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. So Lex, 2020 was certainly an extremely challenging year for many kids and families. And one of the most common issues I think that a lot of parents were struggling with was, you know, kids concentrating and being able to do their schoolwork at home with everything that's going on. So obviously concentration and learning is critical for parents um, and, you know, something that they really worry about with their children. And a diagnosis like ADHD can loom large and a lot of parents aren't really sure, well, you know, when should I be thinking about ADHD or when is it just, you know, normal concentration issues? I agree. Last year, particularly with homeschooling in certain states, many parents saw for the first time um, what some of the challenges for their children were with learning about sitting still, focusing, concentrating. So it really came to light and we saw a lot more questions about it. And that's why it's a good time to have this discussion. But ADHD um, and poor concentration have been issues that have been around for a very long time. And I think one of the things we want to do today is really also talk about the positives of people um, and the positive attributes of children and adults with ADHD. There are many famous people. There are lists of them. Michael (laughs) Phelps, Stevie Wonder, Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Emma Watson from the Harry Potter series. And you know, the positive attributes of some children with ADHD include their energy, their creativity. They're often really bright kids and really engaging, and they often think outside the box. So as adults, they often make quite um, good entrepreneurs and very creative types. Yeah, that's right. I think that's one thing, as you say, today we really do want to discuss and think about um, that if a diagnosis of ADHD is made, it's not necessarily, you know, a a negative for a family. So joining us today in the studio to unpack poor concentration and how it affects learning and when we may like to consider a diagnosis like ADHD is Dr. Daryl Efron, a developmental behavioural paediatrician at the Royal Children's Hospital. Welcome, Daryl. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Lexi. So, Daryl, before we get started, can you tell our listeners what a developmental behavioural paediatrician does? Well, we see kids uh, where somebody, um, the parents or a kindergarten teacher or a school teacher, has concerns about the way they're developing. So that might mean um, kids who've got delayed speech and language development in the early years or delayed motor development. Um, kids where their emotional control in the kindergarten years is is not as good as their peers and they stand out for um, not being able to participate in group activities, all those sorts of issues that come up in the, in the, in the preschool level. And then school-aged kids with a whole range of problems, including ADHD and autism spectrum disorders, very common amongst the kids referred to us these days, um, learning difficulties of different types and a lot of mental health problems. I'd make the point that... Um, you know, um, kids with these sorts of concerns, which we'll be discussing today, ADHD symptoms and related problems, don't necessarily need to see someone who's called a developmental and behavioural specialist, um, because all all paediatricians um, see these sorts of problems day in, day out. 
So for, for parents listening, how do you distinguish between whether, you know, a child has um, poor concentration that can be managed more simply and as opposed to when you might be considering something like ADHD? Yeah, look, it's a difficult question. It's a, it's a fundamental question, an important one, but it's, it's not straightforward, I guess. Um, you know, the fundamental thing with ADHD is difficulty sustaining a focus to tasks that are not inherently interesting. So all kids will focus on things that are fun and interesting and stimulating, like, like a video, video games, game or, yeah. Yeah, or favourite book or, or Lego or something they're really, really interested in. But it's harder for them to harness the mental energies for something that's of low interest, which might be a, a, a school worksheet or, 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 or something that, um, that's not in their, in their skill area or their interest area. But when is it a problem? Because you know it's that, that's to be expected. What I've just said that you, anyone would say that makes common sense. So when's it a problem? The way I think about it is, is if a child's not achieving what parents and teachers think that child's capable of achieving because of the fact that they can't focus well enough. So if they could focus better, we know they could do better. But, yeah. So they're not achieving their potential. Yeah, they're underachieving yeah. relative to their potential. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's also important to think about the age. So in the younger kids, it's very common to have two, three, four-year-olds running around very poor and short attention spans, but the expectation as they get older and start school is the attention span should become longer. So I think it does depend on age. Yeah, of course. I mean, we group kids and, and the teachers set activities according to the general expectation. You know, a first year of school, kids can be expected to function in small groups for maybe... 10 minutes and work relatively independently and, and teachers just sort of know that because they've seen lots of kids at that stage. And Daryl, would you say obviously with the attention and concentration issues, if they're having a significant impact on their learning and their relationships, then it's often going to be, you know, come to, to, to the parents' attention, but often teachers can pick up these issues first, can't they? Yeah, that, that's a common situation, isn't it, Maggie? We see it all the time where the parents, not all the time, but in a significant minority of cases, the parents haven't had much concern really, but the teacher calls them in and they're a bit surprised and the teacher says, look, we really can't get much out of him. Um, he's drifting off all the time. He can't focus. He's getting out of his seat. Uh, and also, as, you, as you're suggesting, there might be difficulties um, with peer relationships and friendships because some of these kids are quite impulsive. That's one of the key features. They jump about. They um, find it difficult to follow the rules of, of games. And so they can be unpredictable to their to their friends, which can make uh, sometimes they you know they're le- less included in in uh, playground activities and games and less invited around to play at friends' places or birthday parties because of that. And you're absolutely right; it's not just the learning; it's it's the, what I call social learning as well as academic learning. And another key area that uh, that we often discuss with parents is that that difficulty getting tasks completed and organising themselves. And sort of those executive functioning skills, if you like. That becomes more obvious probably in the higher years. So in the younger years, it's often the hyperactivity, um, the fidgetiness, the impulsivity. Um, But in the older years, you know, that becomes a real challenge for many of these kids. The transition to high school, well, they have to be much more organised because uh, they've got timetabling and lockers and so on. Um, And and kids with ADHD and related problems usually have poor organisational skills. Another point when I'm talking about that transition to high school thing um, is 
an element that I think is really important for these sorts of kids, and I keep using this term, these sorts of kids, and I'll come back to that at the moment because there's not one straightforward ADHD kid. We'll get onto that in a sec, I'm sure. In high school, they have to develop a, a relationship with multiple teachers, you know, mm. five, six, seven teachers. Uh, who all have different, yeah, who all have different personalities, and, and yeah, all kids find this difficult. Um, but uh, kids with ADHD tend to find this really difficult. You know, they might get along with one or two teachers, but just other teachers may not get them, or they feel like they're being picked on, and you know, so some classes just don't go at all well. Not only for the organisational and other issues, but because of that relationship issue with the teacher. I think that's probably almost the most common time I think parents have brought their child to to discuss these issues is often where that whole organisational pressure, if you like, of starting in secondary school has become a bit of a crisis and the child's just overwhelmed. It sort of brings it to a head in a way, whereas they might have been able to sort of fly under the radar a little bit in primary school, would you say? Yeah, although I do see a lot of the kids who are sort of, I'm thinking of a boy who's seven years old he was always labelled the naughty kid in kinder and and prep and it wasn't really recognised how bright he is and he was and he was struggling with his friends because in the playground he was impulsive, he was in their personal space, he was struggling with learning and he kept saying I'm dumb, I'm stupid but actually once it was recognised and picked up by the teachers and his family there were structures put in place both in school and home, strategies and treatment It just changed the child's trajectory. All right, so I think we've really kind of identified the core um, symptoms and signs, if you like, of of ADHD. So, Daryl, can you maybe talk to us a little bit about how you make a diagnosis of ADHD? Um, And you said there are those different types of ADHD as well. You know, we don't assess a child for one condition. The referral might say query ADHD or query or learning problems or, or whatever, but we step back and look at the whole child, look at all aspects of their function. Uh, and which are, what are their strengths, what are their personal attributes and interests and what are the areas that are difficult. The way we would assess kids is um, gathering information. There's no, there's no test. There's no, no reason to do any MRI scans or anything like that. It's basically talking to the family about how the child was from the early childhood years, developmental, what we call a developmental history, how they learned to talk and communicate and get along with other people, then what was happening when they started school, how are they going with learning and so on. So a detailed history. And then we complement that with questionnaires, which are, which are much more structured and often and have a lot of detail, things we might have forgotten to discuss in the in the interview. We get questionnaires from the parents, which usually just reflects in more detail what we've discussed in the in the in the consultation. But very importantly, we get questionnaires completed from the child's teacher. And that need the teacher needs to have known the child, I'd say for at least a couple of months, because what the parents report is happening at school isn't always the same as how the teachers see it. So information from two settings, always from home and school. Yeah, that's right. If they're only having difficulties at home with challenging behaviour and uh, not complying with parents' instructions and so on, but the teacher says they're fine, that's not ADHD, and vice versa. If the problems are only at school but the no difficulties at home, then maybe the reason for those problems is something else, such as dyslexia and learning difficulties or social anxiety with peers at school and so on, which are in turn impacting on the child's ability to focus on schoolwork, but it may not fundamentally be that inattention. 
And I think that's really important, all those co-existing conditions and making sure that they get assessed and we don't just go down one path and make one diagnostic label. Um, because learning difficulties and social anxieties, you mentioned, are hugely impactful on a child. And it's very hard if you're very anxious to actually learn, absorb information and function at your best. So I think our role as paediatricians is to try and unpack what is happening in the home and what is happening in the school. Mm. I think that's also a really good point, Daryl, about and Lex, that it's not only or often the ADHD alone, that there are often other things going on. In fact, you'd say almost that ADHD alone is uncommon, wouldn't you? It is uncommon. Um, I just saw a girl this morning, a lovely kid, who actually, who just has ADHD, I think. I've known her for a few years now. Um, she's a really fun kid. I've, as you were suggesting at the start, kids with ADHD are great fun generally. Yeah. They're not boring. No. Uh, they often don't, don't have a filter. They're, well, they're often quirky and they're often interesting and they're just spontaneous. And this girl this morning... I think just has ADHD. Um, she's a state-level netball player and, um, you know, really following what you were saying, Lexi, about people with ADHD being able to be very successful at things, of course, they can through childhood and in adult life. But, yeah, she, I think, just has ADHD, but actually that's uncommon, isn't it? We Most of the kids we see have other things travelling along with it, which just makes sense. The brain is, it doesn't have an ADHD lobe, you know. Um, ADHD is very much a genetically-based disorder, which really does is caused by very subtle abnormalities and how the brain chemicals communicate with each other. But that's not an ADHD biology. It's a biology of developmental difficulties. So most kids with ADHD will have things that we've touched on like learning difficulties, like uh, emotional problems, like what we call oppositional behaviour where they find it very difficult to to comply with instructions and, and just um, get... Uh, and get along with other people without uh, backing up against them. That's like a Bart Simpson type um, presentation. There's different types of ADHDs, but I often think of Bart Simpson as the classic sort of ADHD. He's a really fun uh, kid spark brain sparking with ideas and they all come out you know and he gets into trouble because of that sometimes but not all kids with ADHD are like that by any means so there's learning problems there's emotional problems there's anxiety which Lexi you touched on I think is very very common there's tics which a lot of the kids have particularly boys sometimes children with autism and autism is very, very common, isn't it? So, um, and often that, more often that's the primary problem is the autism spectrum disorder and uh, at least half of those kids have troublesome ADHD symptoms. Okay, so just to go back to diagnosis, if a family or school are, are concerned, um, it's often worth seeing their GP and then seeing a paediatrician and then we'll unpack it, try and get information from more than one setting and a developmental history over time. But the diagnosis is a clinical one and we have no tests that will actually help us make that diagnosis. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's a really important point to reiterate because I think too many kids get tests like EEGs and it can just create a lot of worry and confusion. Absolutely. And I think just to sort of cover it off, there are multiple types of ADHD. So there's the combined type where you have difficulties with attention and hyperactivity. Then there's predominant inattentive type, those children you're just talking about who often daydream and appear to blank out for periods. And then there's the predominant hyperactive type, those kids who are really hyperactive and fidgety, often from a very young age. I think let's talk about how we can, you know, help these kids and, and what sort of treatments might be useful. How do you approach that, Daryl, for kids who you've made a diagnosis of ADHD? Um, 
I think the kids that come to a paediatrician, I mean, there's a, there's a range and there's a variety, but most of the time I think the parents have been thinking about these issues for some time, often for some years, and most of the time they've tried a range of things, usually working with the teachers to try to get more out of their kids that they think they can achieve more. So classroom modifications or a modified curriculum or... Regular breaks. Regular breaks and seated away from noisy environments or seated closer to the teacher, those sort of classroom things. And then things like lists or um, written down structures to their day, you know, brush your teeth and To help get with the organisation. Yeah. yeah, with organisation. And visual charts and visual reminders are hugely helpful. In prep, yeah. every instruction is written on the whiteboard, whereas the kids, as the kids get older, they're often having to process the instructions by hearing them. And so for many of our children, writing lists or having someone else write those lists for them can be really helpful. And sometimes they do that for the morning routine. They have the list, you know, pegged up on the the bathroom mirror or next to their bed. You know, those sorts of prompts around organisation. So I think parents, most parents have done variations on those sorts of things to to some extent before they come to see us. Not all. Some, you know, first time teacher raises a concern, they go to the GP and they come straight to see us. But often they've, they've done those sorts of things and they're coming to us because they know that... Um, that medication might be a treatment that could be helpful for their child. So there's a wide a range of ways to treat it, uh, not only medication. Having said that, if the symptoms are very significant and they are causing functional impairment, there's absolutely no question now, after decades of high-quality research, um, that the most uh, effective way to treat the ADHD symptoms is, is medication. And I emphasise ADHD symptoms because, as we keep saying, there's there's usually other things going on that need addressing as well. So I don't want to give the impression that's the only thing that paediatricians do, but if we're serious about treating these symptoms because they're, because they're significant and functionally impairing, is the term we use, causing major problems, child's underachieving, then there's no question medication should be considered. So most people listening to this would be familiar with... Um, this in general terms with the medications that are often used for kids with ADHD, um, Ritalin and other related medications. There's quite a few on the market now. Um, they've been around since the 1960s, really, used quite a lot in the States from the 60s and 70s and this country from the late 70s into the 80s, so they're not new. People we, have a lot of apprehension about them, though, don't they, Dale? Yeah, and that's totally understandable. There's a lot I mean, written about them. Yeah, I mean, even if you'd never read anything about it, you know, the idea of medication, it's designed to modify your child's brain chemicals um, is, of course, not a very nice thought. And then there's a lot written on the internet about potential side effects and so on. Um, and, and they're all legitimate concerns, absolutely. So we don't do this lightly as paediatricians, I don't think. We do it, we, we prescribe for kids with moderate to severe ADHD because we know the medication is highly, highly effective in about four out of five kids that we treat. And most of the time, the side effects are mild and not too, not too severe. There are some kids who have more significant side effects where it just doesn't suit them at all. Um, and you know, you, you'll read um, in the media sometimes that it, it, it changes kids' personality or turns them into a zombie or turns the lights out. Some doctors say that doesn't happen. Actually, it does happen, but it's very uncommon happens in maybe one in ten kids they're just they're just not different. the same they're different mm. they're not as much fun they're not as spontaneous I always tell parents that when I write the prescription there's a chance that might happen it's in my written information for parents because it may happen but there's nothing to be scared of because if it happens it's it's you can see it straight away 
and then you just stop and by the ne- the next day they're back to they, they wear it out within a few hours and the next day they're back to their normal self so there's nothing to be worried about it's not nice to see that for a day or two when you trial it but it's nothing to be worried about the most common scenario is the child is completely their normal self they look they feel like their normal selves when you ask them and when you ask the parents who observe them they seem to be their normal selves they're not fundamentally altered except that they can focus more on tasks for focus on tasks for, for longer and often much much longer be much complete more productive and complete tasks which is what you're aiming to achieve the commonest side effect by far is reduced appetite so most kids uh, that take one of these medications in the morning don't eat as much lunch sometimes no lunch at all but if we time it, which we usually do, so it wears off by the end of the school day, then often they're pretty hungry straight after school. They might have a, a big snack at four o'clock or something and then a, and then a big meal at 5.30 or 6 o'clock. So they can usually maintain enough calories to maintain good growth, um, although occasionally that is an issue. And over time, you know, we're obsessive as paediatricians with monitoring kids' height and weight, and occasionally it is a problem because they don't eat as much. But most of the time, with, with sensible timing of medication, from the doctor and parents are paying good attention to getting enough food in at different times of the day when the medication is not active that's usually not an issue by far and away that's the commonest side effect in fact it's unusual for the medicine to be effective and not reduce the appetite i often say that if they come home and they're eating all day at school we're probably not on the right medication or the right dose of medication yeah um some kids can get other side effects apart from the appetite um, if we give it too late in the day it can um, interfere with kids falling asleep that's unusual as I say it usually wears off well before bedtime but but it does vary a bit and in some kids it sticks around a bit longer and could affect sleep onset um, sleep's really important in all kids and particularly kids with ADHD or other developmental disorders so obviously we need to optimize that um, and sometimes if the medication's been really helpful but is causing problems falling asleep we might add in something like melatonin in the evening which is actually quite quite a common practice these days and can be very helpful and within an hour of taking the melatonin which I'm using that word assuming that a lot of people have heard about that in the community these days it's just a, a natural hormone from the brain that um, some kids need a bit of a boost to, to get drowsy at night um, and uh, that usually works very well so um, and I think with sleep often before I would start a child on a medication I would try and optimize their sleep and their diet um, and their exercise as well but often with sleep um, kids with ADHD often have very active minds and they find it hard to switch off so I find that meditation and using different apps or different uh, programs can be really helpful just for them to get into that rhythm of how to slow their brain down how to fall asleep and so by the time we do think about medication we've you know really started that process. And Daryl do you ever use fish oils that's another thing that parents have read about and often ask Mm. us about as something that they should add in? Yeah I mean um, omega-3 fatty acids that's the reason you use fish oils um, are important um, for general health and um, for some kids who have particularly kids with a lot of anxiety and um, unsettled sort of behaviour for some of those kids, if they're not getting enough, uh, a bit of uh, omega-3 in their diet, so some oily uh, fish, tuna and salmon, you know, which a lot of kids are just getting enough. You have a bit of tuna twice a week, that's enough. But if they're not, because some of these kids are very uh, fussy eaters, then uh, it's worth trying some fish oil tablets. In some kids, not not the majority, but in some kids it actually does help to settle them down. And is there a particular dose from the research or your experience that has been shown to be effective? No, there are different types and there are 
are different uh, uh, doses that um, the different capsules have and no one knows what the best common type or, or dose is. So just get one that's not too expensive and give some is what I always say. And I often say to families, don't expect that you give a fish oil and the child is suddenly going to be able to sit still, etc. It's not like a stimulant. It's just in the research it's been shown overall to try and help their attention and concentration. So Daryl, just to, to finish... Maybe just to reassure parents as well, you know, if ADHD is left untreated, um, which is, I suppose, if people are very apprehensive about medication, you know, what would you say? What are some of the things that could happen that obviously we'd want to avert? Um, look, to, to be quite honest, Maggie, we, we don't know for sure um, whether the treatment makes a difference long term, hand on heart, because the, those long term studies haven't there haven't been many very long term studies, and those that have been done have been a bit inconclusive, actually. So we can't say that you know it's really critically important to give a child with ADHD medication to improve their life chances. It feels that way to us as paediatricians because yeah. day in day out we see kids who have such fantastic symptomatic responses. They can um, function so much better at home and with their friends and and with their schoolwork completion and so on that it feels it, it seems pretty it, it seems Obvious. like that, that mm. they're making better progress and they're going to have better futures but the research hasn't conclusively shown that so look if you've got a child with ADHD and you really don't want to use medication that's not a crime it's not uh, you know it, it, there are other ways that the kids can be helped the point I'm making is that the medication has been shown with very very high quality research in many many replicated studies to have the strongest what we call effect size the biggest effect on those ADHD symptoms in the here and the now in terms in of the their short friendships term. concentration yeah. attention impulsivity yeah, yeah and I think from experience, I think if if we're choosing the right child with the right strategies in place, both in the classroom and at home, plus or minus having a psychologist or OT to support them, medication in addition to those things can be a real game changer. Yeah. So I think really, um, just to sort of sum things up, I'd say, you know, if parents are concerned or are certainly after listening to this today, thinking their child may have ADHD, make that appointment with the GP, go and speak to the paediatrician, explore um, potentially, you know, a diagnosis um, and and then some treatment options is what I would say. Seek help. Um, reach out if you are concerned about your child rather than sort of ignoring it. Would you agree, Lex? Absolutely. And I think we've also got to remember, focus on their strengths. Um, every child has huge strengths and they're unique to them. And often we can sort of get tunnel vision and focus on difficulties at school, etc. But, you know, kids with ADHD, adults with ADHD have, as we've mentioned, often fantastic personalities, huge capabilities that are often underestimated in the school setting. And be very successful people. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think we really need to remember to you know, focus on every child's strengths. Absolutely. All right. Well, look, I think that is all we have time for today. Um, it's been a really, you know, fantastic discussion. Um, and we have lots of resources linked in our show notes, uh, including some mental health resources uh, for children and others around ADHD. So thanks so much for joining us today, Daryl. It's a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.